Let's give them something to talk about. I see the energy running out. I got a planet to run around. Okay, okay. You ain't do nothing but run your mouth. No, I don't want to be humble now. You doubted me, nothing to talk about. All right, we're live. And we're, are we live in all the right places? I, I think so. I believe so. Yeah. Facebook group. And yeah, Facebook and uh, PRS YouTube. And YouTube, we got. All right. So Richard Blake's here with us today. Diablo member Richard Blake. But he's, Thanks for coming on, man. He's far more famous than and educated, I think, than both of us. <laughs> so that's it. We'll we'll try not to talk too much, um, and let the smart guy talk. Yeah, <laughs> I'd love to hear what he's got <laughs> to say. But we wanna we wanna open. We wanted to open up with the. Uh, talk about the semifinals because that was kind of a, a little recap from the weekend. Yeah, a little recap because well, everybody's talk. Well, everybody, everybody that's in interested in the CrossFit Games age group athletes. So I don't know or CrossFit drama or CrossFit <laughs> drama. Um, but it, it, Diablo has had one athlete, my wife um, Yvonne, who um, looks like right now unofficially is qualified for the games in the top ten, which is. Um, outstanding this will be her and she she said it she goes are you talking about me in the email this week i said yes she goes make we please make sure that it says six crossfit game times crossfit games athletes get it right yeah because i got it wrong apparently <laughs> the week before what did you say the week before i, I said five. Oh, yeah i'm sorry or the week before two weeks i don't know i said something so just, this would be the sixth yeah. not the fifth yeah fifth Fifth time. She's five down. She's five down. Or six. Six. And she competed once on a team very right. early That's on. That's right. That was, what, 20, 2008? I think that was 2008. Yeah, 2008. Just from the looks of yeah. those pictures. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> those are great pictures. Those are the back in the day. That was she, That was down at Aromas where they did that that competition. How Richard, how long have you been affiliated with CrossFit or associated with CrossFit or CrossFitting? Uh, about seven years. I yeah started out uh, in London and then bought a CrossFit affiliate down in Mission Viejo, Orange County. Ran that for a little while and then had to sell it for family reasons. And um, yeah, prior to that, I was doing um, like fitness modeling and being in men's health and things like that and just trying to look the part. And then I thought, well, maybe I should actually try and lift some heavy weights. Play the like part that. a little bit more. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's one of those things as an affiliate owner, you're – that you discover in uh, in the whole process of doing things, but you just you're the kind of the last guy to know, you know. And, and affiliate owners like to, you know, one of the things that's challenging for affiliate owners these days is finding qualified people to coach class, right? That there's there's a shortage. If you know, if anybody's interested out there and thinking about getting their certification, there's a shortage of CrossFit coaches among affiliates. Affiliates are struggling to find it. And so now a year after Richard's been here, I find out that he's a level two and he's been an affiliate yeah. owner <laughs> as, I'm, as I was doing the data gathering for this podcast because I know about his breathwork stuff and I follow him on Instagram and I, I don't know, I guess I just didn't dig deep enough in the past. Keep I'm like, wait a minute. Radar, right? Wait a minute. I think I did tell you the first time. Yeah, you, you probably yeah. <laughs> Okay, I so, remember that came up in our conversation. All right, so, so now I'm 60, all right? So now that's the 60-year-old thing. You probably did tell me. Son of a but i'm like oh man okay all right you know maybe there's more in common right so richard when you're if you're ever get an inkling to do some part-time coaching you let me know Uh, um because he's a badass athlete too and that's uh on top of uh everything else that we're going to talk about today well relative i mean last week you had alessandro Kelly on and uh you know she's a badass athlete. I'm you know an amateur she smashed today's so she did she did yeah. class she did my class today she smashed the workout today. she came in early for it's it so, then, huh? it's so great yeah she came in did a 7 a.m class she said it's first time she goes oh that was so hard <laughs> 7 a.m class so great having her in class um the but be, before that before we get into it the the age group semifinals are officially over they ended sunday at at noon athletes had to do a total of four workouts. There were uh, combined six scoring opportunities because two of the workouts had a, additional scoring opportunities. Um, the only challenge was well, one of the challenges that was kind of frustrating with the CrossFit Games 
are frustrating from an athlete's point of view was that the leaderboard we noticed it so when when you do the you do you have to do two workouts specifically they gave us the workouts early but you had to do two of the workouts or submit the results for two of the workouts by saturday so you had some friday at noon until saturday at noon to do two of the, the first two workouts and uh, the way that they managed that was by giving you a password. So they gave you a password that the athlete had to say the password. So that way they knew the only way you could get the, the you know, you, they could verify that you did it after 12 o'clock on Friday was they didn't give you the password until 12 o'clock on Friday. The, one of the frustrating things with that was, is that this year they told the athletes say the password after the workout. It's a total shit show. Which, so you think? <laughs> well, you, 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 you'd think no big deal, but again, yeah. it's, it, now me as a going through this process now this weekend, I understand. I, I I don't understand why they did it versus the beginning of the workout. But what I do realize is that they didn't test that process um, in a real world environment. I feel like they didn't test in a real world environment because what happens um, as you get going, like we saw this with Yvonne. You get everything set up. You do all the tape measurements. You do, you know, you show the video angles, all that you're supposed to show. They state their name. They state everything else. And then they start the workout. And at the end of the workout, all your relief, you're just watching the time. Do we get the time? Do we get the, do we count the reps right? Mm -hmm. Do we get the tie break? Look at this. Yeah. Get the tie, like all the little, all the little things. And the last thing you think about is a freaking password. Well, that whole concept of being like wad drunk too, like post workout, like, well, it, it's you're the, flopping around on the floor, like it, the, the picture of video, no, uh, the video of Yvonne, just like rolling around on the ground and yes. we're yelling at her across. The, she still doesn't even comprehend what we're asking and her to do until a few seconds later. You knew we needed a password. Yeah. I knew we needed a password. I'm sitting behind the cameras and I'm trying to watch the cameras, make sure when we're using two cameras, just in case one camera fails, because you yep. don't want to have to repeat the workout. Luckily, we did have two cameras well, in some situations. Right. Too. Right. Because the athlete can move out of screen, out of yep. frame and everything else. But but we didn't. Jamie knew, I knew, Yvonne knew, and none of us thought to get the password. It was only Beth who was watching as a kind of like a, she's very OCD, but she's also on the sidelines and she's watching. She goes, say the password, say the password. <laughs> and that literally, Richard, that was like of the four workouts that she had to do, that happened in like three of them, three yeah. of the four. And so I guarantee you out of all the masters that did this competition, I'm curious to know what that number How is. How many people didn't say the password? Do you think CrossFit will be um, transparent about that? Because well, they, you know, it's it's a zero. They said if you it's don't. supposed to be a zero. I it, it would just be heartbreaking to me. Like after that first workout, which was a long one, 20, yeah. 22, 25 minute workout. Yeah. To have to redo it just and all those snatches at the end of it. And and they could have fixed that by just saying at the beginning when you say your name, say the password. That's what it was last year. Because you know, everybody knows. Anybody yeah. does CrossFit knows at the end what it's like. You think you you think you're going to be fine at the end of the of the workout. I almost hit on that first workout. I almost hit stop the cameras because I wasn't the camera guy, so I'm in charge of cameras. Yeah. Like they, they need to add another level of fitness, like flexibility, speed, strength, video, <laughs> yeah. videography, and password skills. Yep. I mean, they say there's like, that's good. That's good. The 11th skill of fitness. Well, that's the idea, it's right? Like you've, got, you've got the 10 fundamental fitness, like skills of fitness, right? Like right. the cardio, respiratory endurance, flexibility, all that stuff. And then there's the, the other adaptation that happens between the ears, right? Like the yeah. ability to be cognitive enough yeah. to like, still comprehend and, and follow through with the task I, right? we, whether it's physical or not we have taught you and i have talked about this yeah. as we want to do and we'll, we'll probably do it with an inter-gym competition and there's a, there is a competition the there death is, yeah, the, the death race or something like was that. It the death race yeah we had to go you have to solve problems in the middle of your of in the middle of your exertion and that's what we kind of wanted to do something i think it was called the death race where they had to the things like they had to go climb the top of a hill they were shown uh, a Lego construction. Oh, that's right. With yeah. certain color construction. That's uh, one of our members did it. Steve Arntz, I think it yeah, was. Yeah, yeah, Shown a construction. Then they had it. And this is in the middle of the night. This is after like six hours of already working. It's like a 24-hour race yeah. or something. Then they come back down the hill and all the parts are in a bucket. And they have to build it. And then they show the person at the bottom of the hill. And if they don't get it right, they have to go back up the hill and look at the thing again. And then come back down. So it's like you get this repetition. <laughs> Which I think is awesome. Sounds like, love like it. a challenge in like Harry Potter or something. 
<laughs> when you say Harry Potter, by the way, it sounds way more official than when I say Harry Potter with that accent. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> for obvious reason. But it's also like the the ski biathlon. Oh, yes. Yeah, which I, shooting accuracy as well. We've actually done that. We had a in one of our intramural competitions. Um, we went out and bought some um, Nerf guns, and we did the skier, and we had like a target, oh, nice. and like it was a, it was a team event. So you had like if you and I are on our team, we do I do the skier. I go and make my shots. As soon as I'm done with my shots, like that's it. I have to go and collect the balls and try to if I didn't knock out the target. Then it's your turn, and it just goes back and forth as like an AMRAP. This is this is gonna this is gonna tie in nicely to the stuff that that you're that you work mm -hmm. on and you talk about. But the ski biathlon is something that, in particular, is one of my favorite Olympic events because of the amount of concentration and calmness that it requires in order to. And it's and when they miss and they have to do penalty laps, and then you get someone that comes through. And hits, you know, that someone comes in from from behind and then hits all five targets, and then doesn't have to do the penalty lap, and you get this race for the medal. Yeah, it because of that ability to stay calm and and focus on the task at hand. I think it's just it's awesome. CrossFit did it too at the was Rogue the muscle the up biathlon. It, yeah, no, 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 no. Yeah, they did the muscle up biathlon, but but Rogue did it. Remember Rogue had the air rifles. It was, oh, oh, that was yeah, the Rogue. That was the Rogue right. invitation. Yeah, yeah, was Rogue. That was a rogue invitational one year where they had him do the air rifles. Yeah. Um, yeah, that, I think that's awesome. More of that. Um, but one final thing on the, the semifinals, Yvonne qualified and it was, it was a good event. It would, but um, the scoring, they, they, scoring was a bit of a so, show. so the scoring was supposed to be two of the workouts um, included a part B. 50, 50 points. Yeah. And we, and we're supposed to be in the, so that was new. They said, Hey, look, it's only going to get half waiting and we're going to give it 50 points, which means the regular workouts, we're going to get a hundred points. Mm. Hey, that's cool. Cause that one of them was the snatch test and the other one was the handstand hold. Mm. So that way, because those are specialist events, essentially, uh, they were giving them less credit, but also you couldn't get, you couldn't get too punished. Like you might be able to get away with taking a, a low score on those. Unfortunately, they forgot to tell the leaderboard people this. And so the leaderboard, the semifinal leaderboard was ranked based on placement. Yep. As it always has been. As it always has been, right? For the open yeah. and for everything else. It's always based on placement. So if you get first place, you get one point. The lower the place, points, the better you right, are. And the lower points. And they decided to change it to the games format, which is where they avoid assigned points for for each workout. Was there a particular reason why they did that? I don't know. Um, maybe because they want, maybe because they had two part B's and they didn't want to punish. They didn't want to give someone a hundred point waiting yeah. for a handstand hold, which would have been silly. Yeah, especially for masters. I think. Yeah, I, I got my own thoughts on that one. At, at the end, it should have been like a, at the end wall. of the day. It, ordinarily, it wouldn't be too big of a deal that you know that they've got a, a leaderboard snafu. But in the case of these age group athletes, it was unfortunate because. Uh, they need to know where they stand day to day to determine how, you know, what their, you know, where their focus needs to be for the next day. Like you need to know, am I way out of this or am I close? Mm -hmm. And if I'm mm -hmm. close to do, do I redo like Yvonne did that last workout? Yeah. She did it twice. Yeah. 20, we, 20 the, minutes apart. And the fourth workout was, was a, was, awesome. a, was a 15 minute time cap workout yeah. that included burpee box jump overs um, step ups yeah goblet rack go, yeah goblet rack front rack with a kettlebell first time we've had that front rack with mm -hmm. a kettlebell step ups which are brutal yeah because you just can't use it like you can a dumbbell mm -hmm. and then goblets got squats and rope climbs and then um legless rope climbs mm -hmm. she got gap um she went out hard she did really well in the first attempt and then um started failing on her legless rope climbs yeah she finished the workout at eleven fifteen with eighty five reps, and she got she had gotten one of four total mm -hmm. legless rope climbs. We had to make kind of a game day decision. Yeah. What does she do? Like, is that score going to punish her? Because she was, you know, po possibly so bumped out of the pop top ten. Like, and the girls in her age group are good. Yeah, and she rested 
15 minutes about did some voodoo flossing some yeah. foam rolling just kind of get some blood back into the system just yeah kind of flush 15 out minutes and redid started with the burpee box jumpers 20 burpee box jump overs those step ups again yeah um rope climb she did the first set of rope climbs great she was only about 30 seconds off her pace from the first time saying uh, mm-hmm. we were a little bit worried beth and i were a little bit worried from the tiebreaker standpoint yeah we're like oh man because her tiebreaker is going to be less yeah, yeah. But that X, that slower time and her more methodical pace. I think the rope had a little bit. Well, and then and then we used a, an older rope because uh, the newer ropes are slick. Well, I think for future reference and anybody else out there that's listening, like if you're doing rope climbs on a brand new rope, there's definitely some stretch and give to it. Oh, that's right. And I think that's what what really happened because when you watched her doing the legless rope climbs, she was spinning like crazy because that rope, it's a newer rope. That's she right. just really liked that space because she smashed the legless rope climb workout last year. Right. But it's also like that rope has been removed like eight or nine times by now since last year. Yeah. So so, so we put a new rope in there like two weeks ago yeah. and it's slicker. It stretches. So she couldn't. It just it was yeah. harder. But anyway, we put her on a different rope and she we went at a different pace and she ended up adding like 25, yeah. 25 more reps. Yeah. That's Which amazing. was crucial. Oh, it was, yeah. dude. It's 60 in, years old. Half an hour. Right? Six, it's 60 years old. I would even like, say half hour. I would say like, like 20 minutes. I remember watching the clock and I'm like, oh, fuck, this is going to be the most stressful five minutes just to get the, the score submitted before the deadline. Because yeah, yeah, she finished it, it within well, we, a five so, minute window. So we decided, so Kim and I decided during the workout to submit her last score. Just as a backup. As a backup, just, just in case we, there yeah. was a screw up or for some reason she didn't make it. So we mm. submitted it, had that in. And then I said at five minutes till when it looks like she's ahead, let's delete that score and start the entry score entry oh, for the new score, which we did. We deleted the score and we started, we filled in all this stuff. As soon as she's done, boom, 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 we put the data in and then we sent the video afterwards, Yeah, which is good that CrossFit allows yeah. us to do that because you can't possibly upload that video in time. No, <laughs> but it, it was, uh, you know, she, she last night, she said, thank you for everything. I appreciate it. And I said, look, uh, that's like. It was so worth it because that's like a defining moment in your CrossFit career. Like that's an epic moment to be able to come back from that kind of adversity, though. Like, right. I mean, we're in like, in my opinion, I think this is like the worst stage of the CrossFit Games. Yeah. Right. Like you said, you don't know where everybody's at from day to day. It's an, an in-person competition. Everybody's dealing with the same situation, right. same warm-up environment, same competition floor, same equipment. And you can see physically where they are on the field, you know, if you can push the gas or not with this environment, it's, it's purely yeah. just like, and, and our arguably the, one of the hardest, oh, I watched 100%. Alessandra do that workout two days oh, before. She, yeah. She did. She said it was like, that's rough. Yeah. She said it was rough. Yeah. Anyway, which, which says a lot. What makes me think of like what David Goggins said is like most people push themselves to about 40% of their capacity. Yeah. Still got so much left. That's a really good point. And Yvonne, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. It just had so many reserves that she could tap into for that second re- attempt. Yeah. 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 That's that is right. I mean, there is like there's that save a life gear. <laughs> well, she's always been really good under pressure, I too. Know. She is good under pressure. When we told her, I when we told her, hey, you gotta redo it. I was like, I saw the look on her face. Oof. And she's just like, Okay. Yep. Let me tape up my fingers because she yeah. slid down some of the rope a few oh, times. Oh, I know her hands uh, were killing how, her last night. How are they doing right now? Last night. Yeah. Anyway. All right, so let's talk. I want to. I want to talk to Richard because Richard has some tools that that can help all of us. And in particular, I, I'm I'm most interested in it. I've been geeking out on it a little bit prior to Richard, which is why I wanted to have him on this podcast. Is using breathing techniques to manage um, to manage stress, manage anxiety, manage pain. Um, I started cold plunging. I did a little bit last year, but I started plunging again this year. And I, re- at first, when I started cold plunging, I didn't really pay attention. They said I'd, I'd read all the Hoffman stuff, you know, about the breathing. I just didn't really pay attention to it. I was just like, oh, get this over with. But then I started paying attention to it. And I realized that when I was easing myself in and, and able to sit, stay in there for longer periods of time more comfortably, I realized it was like, oh, I was breathing much better. And then I saw that Huberman post the other day too that talked about it. There's now cl- um, clinical data. And there's, I'm sure there's a lot more. Richard will tell us. There's a, probably a lot more data that demonstrates that breathing, yeah, has the ability to um, substantially affect mood and 
and anxiety and it's data supported protocol. So the post is for those that are listening and are watching, it says a brief data supported protocol for reducing stress and improving mood around the clock is five minutes a day of physiological sighing, which uh, part of me is like, okay, well then my daughter ought to be really good at this because <laughs> yeah she, i mean that probably is uh, right. you know, an emotional regulation strategy she's frustrated so she's she's letting it out rather than holding it in and that like sigh is a way of regulating the nervous system and as well when you just went like uh, you vibrated that is increasing vagal nerve tone the vagus nerve is the one that um, travels from the brain down to the gut and sort of helps us regulate our own nervous system and vibrating it is one way to increase its tolerance for stress Right. Interesting. So she's a, she's a wise sire. She's yeah. on it. Yeah. So five minutes a day of physiological sighing, which equals a max inhale ver- via the nose, and then the, another short nasal inhale, and then a full exhale of the lungs to empty the mouth and repeat it for five minutes. This outperformed, this is what's cool, this outperformed five minutes a day of meditation and other breathe, breathing protocols. And then there's some data that's showing that it's even better than using uh, medications for for relief which is fascinating to me yeah Yeah, i have some ideas about why in this particular study it came across as more effective than meditation meditation is really effective i I do it i don't teach it because i think breath work is more effective and um, there's more more room to grow with breath work um so meditation for people who have ptsd uh it's it's not actually good because they can't focus on their Mm. internal internal world they get distracted they get um you know scared and frustrated and a lot more people have ptsd than we realize you know ptsd used to be something only reserved for you know military veterans or, or car right. crashes or things like that but actually uh, new studies are showing like about 70 percent of people have trauma unprocessed trauma and 90 percent of people in behavioral health so anyone who's seeking therapy has trauma and a lot of trauma just gets like swept under the carpet or, or brushed in with other with other conditions mental health conditions and physical health conditions and as a treatment target it is being completely like ignored no one really wants to address trauma as a cause of anxiety people want to you know just numb symptoms or, or just yeah treat symptoms and the breath work in particular that i am about to do my, my phd research on has had um a fair bit of trials on curing ptsd it's it's actually shown to to resolve symptoms of ptsd and um yeah in, in relation to huberman's meditation study there he is talking about just i would say it's more like symptom management what he's doing mm-hmm. there it's more like five minutes just to keep you going whereas the tr- uh, the research i'm actually proposing designing at the moment is going to be going and, and seeing if we can actually yeah cure people's mental health issues from what's causing them rather than just managing this is great you know yeah. it's great to be able to manage stress but also it'd be nice to know what's actually causing people's chronic anxiety and chronic depression and things mm-hmm. like that how much of it do you think is the explosion in media devices and then the related content that has accompanied that so since the invention of the iPhone and the iPad and having the ability to have screens in front of us. So, you know, did, I just don't remember this being as big an issue. And when I was in high school and college, like you're talking to a guy that was in they were graduated high school, in 1980, graduated college, in 1984. It, it just, this, this wasn't a thing. And now it's, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, my daughter deals with it. She's 19. Um, many, parents here and their kids uh, deal with it and uh and i think you're right about the ptsd and, and but, we're, but we're not going to war we're not you know what i mean so like what is it that's create that's creating this situation is it is it those screens um well i certainly had depression anxiety long before screens came along um and a lot of other people have um, there's so many different causes of, of anxiety. You know, there's, um, there's trauma one, which is sort of an underappreciated one. That's why I'm sort of banging the drum about it. Um, there's you know, diet, there's, um, lack of sunlight, there's, um, stressful events in your life, you know, right. like 
pandemics and things mm. cause anxiety, yeah. <laughs> climate anxiety, yeah. all these things can cause it. Um, phones, I think, can uh, the main theory behind why that might be causing problems, I think, is dopamine. You know, it's just like, I don't know if you've read Dopamine Nation, Andrew Hubermore mm. talks about it, but it's basically just dopamine on tap. And then when you haven't got any dopamine left, you feel anxious. So if you've depleted all your dopamine from scrolling the the news, scrolling Instagram, gaming, whatever it is, uh, cocaine, um, alcohol, all chocolate, all these things, shopping, gambling, all these things just deplete dopamine. And then when you haven't got any left, you're just, you're just going to be anxious. So I would say that the phone is not causing it, but it's just another thing that's readily just, available. Just adding to, to deplete the, us. Like fuel for the fire, essentially. Exactly. It's like with, with gambling, you know, gambling doesn't like create gambling addicts, but if people want to gamble, yeah. they'll go and gamble. But if it's just right there in front of them all the time, they're going to gamble more. It's like that Alcoholics Anonymous saying, if you don't want to slip, don't go where it's slippery. Yeah. Right. So it's the depletion of dopamine can lead to the anxiety and then, and then depression as well. Uh, related to that yeah i think so um depression is a little bit more complicated complicated than anxiety because it's, it's you know it's more like a, a chronic thing it could go brain changes in various different ways um but i'm sure yeah just that low mood probably because you've depleted your, your dopamine can, can certainly be caused by social media mm-hmm. um, and and other things what led you to think about breath work as a way to uh, disintermediate this process yeah well i as i mentioned i had anxiety depression and uh, eating disorder for a long time i'd done a lot of talk therapy and I'd, i kind of got stabilized but i hadn't really i was still having a lot of problems still having an eating disorder and things like that and um my therapist said to me like i notice you you hold your breath a lot or you take big size and you uh your breathing is quite dysregulated why don't you go see this guy i know he's called the breath guru his name's alan dolan and so i showed up for a session with him just thinking he was going to sort of like teach me how to breathe or to you know some sighing or something like mm. that but then he, he taught me this breath work technique it's called conscious connected breath work that's kind of the umbrella term for a lot of schools of this breath work the most famous one is holotropic breath work created by stan groff there's transformational breath work, shamanic breath work, clarity breath work, um, therapeutic breath work. And, and what these things do is basically breathing through the mouth to start, which, you know, if you've listened to Huberman and things like that, I'll say ne- never, do never that. breathe yeah. through your mouth. But when you're doing something like Wim Hof, uh-huh. you're trying to alter your state of consciousness. Breathing through the mouth is actually useful in that context. So he had me sort of lie down on the couch, taught me this breathwork technique. And then for about 40 minutes, I was doing this breathwork technique. And after what felt like, I don't know, time stopped existing, <laughs> I came back from another realm. And I was just like, I just looked at him like, what, where am I? Where have I been? Where did I go? And <laughs> I uh, immediately text my wife, Natalia, and was like, oh my God, you've got to try this breath work. I booked her in the next day. A few months later, we were training with him. Natalia now works for him. I'm now doing a PhD in this, this breath work research, sorry, in this breath work method. And it, it's basically, it's very, it's akin to a psychedelic journey. Mm-hmm. Um, some people say that I mentioned yesterday, yeah. um, your body releases its own exogenous DMT. DMT is the active ingredient in ayahuasca. And, and certainly in Wim Hof, people seem to report, um, you know, seeing visions in their third eye. This is where the DMT would get released from the pineal gland, in theory. And also in this, yeah, this breathwork, conscious connected breathwork, you can also have these non-ordinary states of consciousness, spiritual experiences, mystical experiences. And very recently, they some researchers put some people into an fmri and had them do this breath work and they showed very very similar changes to people on psychedelic um, trips and why is that good for mental health just having a psychedelic trip you might think oh you know people just you know off with the fairies or some wasting their time getting high um but actually there's a big big correlation between mystical experiences and improved mental health outcomes and mm-hmm. it doesn't necessarily ha- matter how they come um so near-death experiences a lot Mm. of people have near-death experiences and they meet ancestors godlike figures and then they come back and they're fundamentally changed in some positive way they're happier their depression's gone they have 
connection to their friends and family. Same with ayahuasca, same with psilocybin, same with breath work. If you can elicit a mystical experience, mental health outcomes are improved. It's almost like an ego dissolving situation, right? Where you're going through that and then it's like you forget about the little things. <laughs> yeah, that's one theory. Yeah, Michael Poglin talks about that. It's yeah. almost like a, a reboot, you know, yeah. turning the computer off again, um, resetting neurotransmitters, neuro resetting neural pathways, and then... The um, whole default mode network and everything. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that is another area of the brain that was shown to be downregulated in, in this breathwork. So the default mode network or, or the DMN is where it's kind of where we think our idea of self comes from and so if you have so you know negative messages like oh, i'm a loser i'm an addict i am depressed i all, all these like subconscious messages you if i just say to someone you know you're not a loser you know you're not you're not an addict like they're just going to you know, bat it away mm -hmm. prefrontal cortex just goes no critical thinking I'm, I'm i am all these things when you down regulate the dmn these messages of like, oh no, I am actually okay. I'm not as bad as I think I am. We can reset our sense of self and that can really change mm -hmm. our depression, anxiety, addiction, all those kinds of things. That's fascinating as hell. Back to, to the topic of using the hallucinogens for, um, for making long-term mental health changes. There is a, there's a lot of discussion around the the DMT. There's a lot of psych, uh, the psychosyllabus. Psilocybin. Psilocybin. MDMA. Yeah, MDMA. The use of those things in either micro doses or even going out and having a, you know, you know, a, a, what do they call it? Assisted uh, experience. experience. <laughs> yeah, well, where someone's there um, with you yeah. and gives you the, the, lead, the full experience journey. and it and it is uh, alleviated, you know, P PTSD is... And then what I've wondered, this is the thing, and I've wondered is like in in your explanation there with respect to breathing, just kind of ex, you know, explained it. The most I've heard it explained is what is it that's causing that? Like what, what's why is just having a hallucinogenic experience, you know, fixing problems? Where where's the what's the, you know I want to know what's the mechanics there? Did it go in and reprogram that? And 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 do you have to have a certain type of of hallucinogenic experience in order to accomplish that and how much and and does microdosing work versus doing a regular folded and if you can do it through breath work that's even more amazing but can you i mean do we know or do people know what that can what that actual connection is that process that's happening that's creating that improvement um so your question is, what is it about the mystical experience that yes. creates the improvement? So I think there's, there's yeah, several... but much better said than I did, by the way. <laughs> um, so I think there are many mechanisms of action with these things. I think just having a connection to something bigger, a higher being, or whatever it is, you know, planet Earth, you know, Gaia, whatever you want to call it. Um, it's kind of like a containing myth. I don't know if you heard of Jung's idea of the containing myth, but we don't really have a containing myth anymore. Uh, the idea used to be that, you know, Christianity was our containing myth. You go yes. to heaven and hell and there was a big guy with a beard up in the sky and mm -hmm. a guy with a pokey stick down below us. Now we don't have that. We have um, late stage capitalism as our containing myth. And that if you, uh, you know, are successful, you'll, you'll be happy. But, you know, that doesn't necessarily play out for a lot of people. And so I think having a connection in the mystical experience to something bigger than just what's going on in our world right now gives us, it's almost like a, you know, some, a hand in the back almost like um, there is some sort of support there. There is, uh, you know, I'm not just um, a useless individual doing nothing in the world. I have support from ancestors, guides, God, whatever, whatever it is in your, your spiritual beliefs. I just think that that makes such a big difference. And I, have, I, I do quote this in my, my PhD proposal, but there is a direct correlation between anxiety and spiritual well-being, i.e. How, how spiritual a person feels, you know, it doesn't matter what religion, but the more connection they have to their spirituality, the lower their anxiety is. Interesting. Interesting, and then it helps you understand the development, maybe the development and expansion of religion as, you know, as by our ancestors. Oh, yeah. Right. If you got a, it, it's you know a way of explaining why things are happening and and gives you a sense of comfort that should I die? You know, part of the problem of being self aware is that you're also self aware that you might die, 
you know, or that you might get eaten or that something's going to hurt. You know, my dog doesn't, you know, run out into the street thinking I might get hit by a car, <laughs> dumbass. You know, I don't run into the street because I might get hit by a car. And it's that creates a certain amount of fear, certain amount of anxiety. And that's tempered by, you know what, if I get hit by a car, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to die. I'm going to go to heaven, see my maker and, you know, everything's going to be great. So like that helps bring down that kind of that anxiety, that fear of taking risks, the fear of, of the, the, the fear and anxieties that we stack upon ourselves in daily life. And so you can understand how our ancestors maybe developed religion as a, almost as a tool, but you know, as a way to explain things, but also as a tool to help manage it, it worked effectively either that, or we evolved into it as a result of having religion, one of the two, but either way it's, that's a fascinating explanation of why this stuff may work. So then we get back to all the way back to breathing. How does breathing, how can breathing trigger this hallucinogenic experience and this, you know, kind of same thing that's, that, you know, MDN, MDMA and uh, psilocybin and all the other things promised to give us. Yeah. So MDMA is not, not a hallucinogen. Hallucinogen is more of a, I call it an empathogen. So that okay. is something like um, the way that would work is it makes you feel, you know, really boost serotonin. You feel great love. You feel safe. And in right. that state, in the right environment, you can go and reprocess uh, traumatic memories when you are feeling safe, because this is a big problem with PTSD is people are just so highly strong, you know, so like in, in fear, they cannot process their traumas, can't process their emotions. And this is kind of, it's an adaptive response It's become a maladaptive response. So when you're running away from a tiger or, you know, you're in war, you're running away from, mm. a, from a, a threat, you don't want to be processing emotions. You don't want to be crying. You don't want to be feeling your feelings. Right. You want to be getting to safety. And normally when that happens, yeah, the body releases what, what Peter Levine would call survival energy. Um, you've taken a deep breath and you liberate all this survival energy to get yourself to safety. Right. The nervous system goes right up into sympathetic and you use that to run away from the tiger, etc. Then when you get to safety, your body should finish that response. It should discharge a lot of that energy. So when you see a deer shaking, after it's just been running away from escape to lion, that's discharging survival energy. It is the same with like dogs after a fight, they'll be shaking. That's right. discharging survival energy. Children do that a lot as well. But then society for some reason says, no, stop shaking, you know, don't discharge that because we feel uncomfortable with it. We think it's um, you know, it's it's not helpful, but it is helpful to discharge that. And then uh that the, the nervous system just gets stuck in sympathetic. And this is the idea that trauma gets stuck in the, the nervous system rather than in the brain. And that's why talk therapy won't do anything for someone with trauma uh, because um, there's also another thing, basically the memories get stuck as procedural memories rather than episodic memories in the brain. And we need to reprocess them so that they can just go into episodic memories. So there's, a variety of ways of how trauma gets stuck in the body and a variety of reasons why talk-based therapy, CBT, has such poor results for people with PTSD and has such high relapse rates as well. So the way breath works. CBT, by the way, for anyone that's not familiar with it, is cognitive behavioral therapy, which is super common today. Yeah, I'm not a fan. <laughs> yeah, interesting. I'm not a fan of it. Um, it's better than nothing, but um, yeah. I think other there are better things out there, and I, they're, they're coming. I think breath work is a better thing. Mindfulness meditation for a lot of people is better. Psychedelic assisted therapies are better. Um, so the way breath work works is, yeah, one is healing traumas, um, and then two, it's creating these mystical experiences. And I think the way it's doing that is, so when you're doing this breath work, you are blowing off a lot of your carbon dioxide. And if you know, you've listened to the Huberman, you know, when you talk about blowing off carbon dioxide, um, areas of the brain get downregulated. So the prefrontal cortex uh, gets downregulated, doesn't get enough oxygen. And the prefrontal cortex is the last part of our brain, which evolved. And that's sort of involved in like higher thinking. And one of its job is to like suppress our emotions, to stop us from feeling pain. And I think so many people... Uh, I know so many people with research shows so many people are anxious because they're just not processing their emotions. They're just suppressing their emotions. And that causes anxiety. It's called maladaptive emotion regulation strategies. 
suppression, avoidance are two of these strategies. And what breath work does is downregulates that part that's suppressing. So these emotions just pop up. And then this is what happens in, in breathwork sessions is people just spontaneously crying, spontaneously like thinking about things that they'd not thought about for years and things they were just stuck in their memory, stuck in their body. And that's kind of what, what breathwork does is it helps you, what conscious connected breathwork does is it helps you regulate your emotions, feel your feelings. Whereas other things like CBT is just, again, I feel like it's just symptom management rather than right. the cause it, it, um, how long are these? Uh, uh, would a typical breathwork session be to help or to that would it result in an outcome like you're talking about? Yeah. So the the, the actual breathing itself, I, I actually taught a workshop a few weeks ago, and I was just going to do a, like a trial, a taster, because I was giving a talk on it, right? Um, like for my PhD, and I only did 15 minutes, <laughs> and people came back. Like people were there were people shaking, there were people crying. There was a woman who met her ancestors, and I was like, oh my god, I cannot believe this happens in 15 minutes. Because <laughs> normally I would do like 40 minutes to an hour. Right. Some polytropic does like two hours. Oh wow! But just for some people who are just ready to go, 10 yeah. minutes. And all these things come up. A lot up. of stuff already boiling under the surface, really. Yeah, for sure. And it, it obviously, it's, it's not going to work for everyone. There are certain people who uh, it, it's not perfect for. They, they'll need other therapies. But for some people, they just they go off into other worlds within 10 minutes. It's wild. What about versus traditional meditation? where you're doing the chanting and then, you know, trying to clear your mind. I've always, you know, for this group, I've, I've always had, you know, I've tried meditation before. I just can't sit still for it and, and stay and clear my mind. I get too, too distracted and I get antsy and then I want to go do something like it, it's very difficult for me. I'd rather be skiing or, you know, doing something, jogging, running, walking where I'm like, and then my mind clears that way. But, but is there, is there a difference between, say, meditation where you're doing the chanting, or is that the same thing as the is the deep breathing exercises? Yeah. So again, it's, it's very different. I'd say the meditation is about um, regulating the nervous system for for one thing, whereas the breath work I'm researching is upregulating the nervous system. We're, we're sending people back up into that sympathetic state that maybe they got stuck in, so they can complete their process and go back into this, the parasympathetic. I do think meditation is is really useful, especially if you, for people with like ADHD and and to help to you know, get to know the body and to help tolerate more stress. Um, but yeah, this type of breath work has been called by I think the Washington something post maybe they, they call it breath work for people who can't sorry meditation for people who cannot meditate oh, okay. some people just can't sit still still right. whereas breath work like wim hof soma breath transformation breath these things they're active you're doing something and especially if you're doing transformational sorry conscious connected breath work i say transformational that's a brand of conscious connected breath work you have uh you'll have a coach with you because it's very difficult to do on your own especially at first because there's so many different like moving parts in this breathwork technique that you need to be on top of to elicit that response, you know, elicit the, the transient hyperfrontality that um, <laughs> transient hyperfrontality is the, uh, when I mentioned earlier, the down regulation of the prefrontal cortex, that's right. the transient hyperfrontality. Um, so yeah, breathwork is active, whereas the meditation is passive. So for a lot of people, they find breathwork a lot easier. Mm. I've used it you know i've done the deep i've noticed when i cold plunge now and that was you know some of the wim hof stuff that if i folk just focusing on my breathing first when you get in when you get into the first time you get into a cold plunge you're you got short shallow breaths you know and then and i forced myself to take bigger longer breaths deeper exhales and literally within 10 to 15 seconds i've instantly forgotten about the cold sensation the sharp cold sensation i don't want to say it's pain it's not really pain as much as just cold sharp sensation on my skin that's wanting me that's forced me to want to get out like i, I instantly forget about it and uh and then and then I, what's interesting is too is I, I i get into almost a meditative state where my mind clears and now i'm just um, focusing on the breathing i'm focusing on the breathing and and if i stop and kind of like you know snap myself out of it all of a sudden it feels cold again but it's it, it's it's a fascinating thing. Is there uh, any thoughts to that 
uh, deep breathing also being able to, to, to be used for things like pain management. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, cold exposure yeah, is pain management and right. in, in, in a way in that you're deliberately stressing your body. You know, it's a hormetic stressor that idea right. of hormesis, like a, a mild stress elicits an overcompensation from the body. So, you know, too much cold, too much ice baths, you know, it's hypothermia and you're, mm. you know, you're Jack on the Titanic or in, in the ocean and don't live. Same with like saunas and same with exercise, you know, too much heat and you die of dehydration, but a little bit of sauna, the body overcompensates. And, and that's the uh, idea of hormesis. And similarly with breath work and breath holds, it's a hormetic stress, um, you know, too much breath holds and it's suffocation yeah, yeah. a little bit, your body overcompensates. So specifically with ice baths your body is overcompensating with dopamine and you know we talked earlier about dopamine in terms of um social media and things like that so in dopamine nation they talk about the sort of the seesaw of pain and dopamine mm -hmm. so your body will give you dopamine after you do something difficult or hard yes so your body gives you dopamine after oh, an yeah. ice bath your body, if you do, you've had something on your to-do list for six months mm. and you've been putting it off <laughs> and you do it after, you feel amazing because yeah. your body's rewarded you with dopamine because you did something hard. It doesn't have to be objectively hard. It just has to be something you don't want to do. So hence your right. to-do list, you know, whatever it is, like, you know, washing the car, if that's really difficult for you and then you do it, you'll get a much bigger dopamine release than someone who likes washing their car. And then the reverse of the... the, the the seesaw is if you get dopamine without pain, your body corrects the other way and gives you pain. So when you're getting dopamine from porn, social media, your body reacts a few hours later with making you feel anxious, making you feel depressed. Oh, yeah. fascinating. So, yeah. Okay. Um, and then so for, for strategies with ice baths, so ice baths, norepinephrine and dopamine, those are the two neurotransmitters. Right. Yeah, norepinephrine is the adrenal, that's the, you know, Thing that makes you want to go and crush a workout or do do your to-do list afterwards and so strategies for that and, and, and a, another reason why ice bars is so good is because it's helping you to to tolerate extreme states it's helping you to uh you know calm yourself under stress because we'll, we all will all have sort of different uh windows of tolerance for stress and i i always think of um the uh the ryan gosling movie where he's um uh he's the astronaut neil armstrong and the opening scene or one of the opening scenes is uh, Neil Armstrong flying a, a jet and he's going to crash soon and everyone's telling him to like bail out and the average pilot would probably just be freaking out and just ejecting right away. But he has such a high window of tolerance for stress that despite all these noises and pressure on his body, he manages to like save the plane and land it calmly. Right. That's why he was the first man on the moon because he has an absolutely enormous window of tolerance for stress. And we can train our windows of tolerance for stress by doing stressful things mm -hmm. like sauna, hard exercise, ice baths. And yeah, with, with ice baths, what happens is you go in, if it's cold enough, you'll, you get that shock, you get that, <gasps> that initial like, oh my God, what am I doing? I shouldn't be here. Um, <laughs> and you get that, uh, what's called the mammalian dive reflex, that, uh, that big inhale, which kickstarts a lot of immune functions, but then also, you know, the prefrontal cortex goes offline and it's sort of the, the more reptilian parts of the brain start to take over and be like, oh no, we need to get out of here. And this is what comes to what Andrew Huberman calls limbic friction, where the limbic system is uh, rubbing against the prefrontal cortex, the limbic system being the sort of the, let's get to safety and the prefrontal cortex being the, the sort of the higher self saying, no, this is going to be really good for us. And the more you can have the prefrontal cortex, making decisions for your life the better your life is going to be that's fascinating as hell what about um so there's well uh, there's a couple levels here i want to go to um in terms of now learning these techniques and you know where i learn them um and i guess what i'll do is ask you both questions together so one is like how do i learn it so that i can do it myself and then two um, is this something that we can teach our kids and, and are there, are there ways to teach our kids how to do these things? Do you mean in, in relation to ice bars or no, or no, no, works? just in, in terms of, no, I think it, I'm more interested in, you know, ice baths great, you know, but I'm talking more in terms of, um, managing and reducing anxiety and stress. 
Um, and you know, by kids, I mean, kids that, you know, I would say age, you know, five and up, you know, is there a way to teach these kids how to do it? And then where, where would I, and where would anybody else, and where would the people who are going to listen to this, where would they learn how to, how to use these, uh, these techniques to their advantage? Yeah, absolutely. You can use it for kids. There's a charity in the UK called Schools Breathe who are sort of teaching school teachers breathwork so that they can teach their kids oh, that's cool. breathwork so they can start their day with a bit of med- meditation because, you know, as we said, breathwork is sort of easier than meditation for people who can't sit still. Kids find breathwork easier than the meditation. Um, yeah, for sure. Then in terms of finding it yourself, there's so many different types of breathwork. So of the most famous one would be Wim Hof and you can just go on YouTube and do like a 20 minute tutorial with Wim Hof and learn how to do that on your own. The technique I teach, you need a coach because you can't really learn it for yourself. Um, you, you just, it's, is it like a matter of like timing and stuff like that? Yeah, and so like there's various things. The... Yeah. Various things in like you have to surrender your exhale. Mm-hmm. You have to connect your breath. You remove as well. It's called conscious connected breathing because you're mo- removing the pauses on your between your inhale and your exhale. I've been doing this for years, and I still need coaching sometimes mm-hmm. because when you go into that co- unconscious state, you just you can't keep it going. So, for to do that, you would uh, you need the need to go to a workshop, and there's workshops in the Bay Area, but workshops all around the world. There's workshops online, and, and one of Traditionally, it's been done in person, but one of the things that makes my uh, research unique is I'm going to be the first person to do it online to test whether or not it works online because during the pandemic, Mm -hmm. obviously, no one could do it in person. And so a lot of people had to switch online and a lot of people included had amazing results with clients. So we would now want to validate this scientifically to say like, hey, no, it works online just as well as in person. So uh, to find it, I would say um, Breath Guru, would be my first port of call they would be so he's, he's uk based he's my mentor um you can work one-to-one with him he does workshops then uh clarity breathwork is another school they're sort of based in the bay area and, and hawaii they do teacher trainings um and then if you want to breathwork just to try on your own i would recommend soma breathwork s-o-m-a that's rec- uh created yeah, by miraj nike and he i've trained with him and that is um that's something you can do every day. That's like a 20 minute. Um, it's kind of like a cross. It's, it's like Wim Hof, but slightly different. And it's got good music and things like that. I also love Wim Hof. Give Wim Hof a try. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's like restaurants, you know, people have different mm-hmm. f- flavors of food they like. There's different breath works for different people and for different sort of moods as well. Um, and yeah, what else was I going to say? Um, I and, for ki- and for kids... Yeah, kids. Yeah, I've, what was that? What was that kids program he said in uh, the UK? Schools breathe. So that schools is something breathe. that okay. um, they're yeah. teaching teachers. But for kids, I I think you probably could just do soma breathwork and things like that. S O M A. They're on YouTube, and um, yeah, my my mentor breast guru. He does. He's he's had babies. He breathes like young children. But again, that's quite like an involved process compared to just um, self regulation. There is a cool device called Moonbird that I'm an ambassador for. It's this handheld um it's like i don't know it looks like it's like moon shaped and it's sort of silicone and it breathe it expands and contracts so for someone who had a, a deaf client a hard of hearing client recently he can't do breath work because he can't hear but the, the um the moon bird is great for him because it's just touch it expands and closes in line with uh the breathing rhythm oh, okay so it's kind of like uh tactile, tactile cueing exactly. yeah okay yeah. And also that device has a HRV and heart monitor on it oh, as okay. well. So you can see in real time when I'm doing this breath work, my HRV goes up, which is good. And my, my heart rate goes down. What's that called again? Moonbird. Moonbird. I think I have a discount if you go to me, me, breathgeek.com. Me, I, I just, I think about, and I think about the, so many kids, so many parents tell me this, that, that you know, just our members here, their kids that are, suffering from anxiety um and stress related anxiety school related anxiety and just and social media and and bullying and all the other things that drive it like just having a tool like this i'm thinking already for my daughter i'm gonna you know when i go home today i'm gonna spend time with my daughter and talk to her about this 
is I want her to have a mechanism when she has an anxiety attack in particular, which is like once every couple of months, she'll have an anxiety attack. It's, it's kind of scary. And I, and I think a lot of people think, well, just, you know, just get over it. And that's what was my first response. She, I remember her telling me, you can't just tell me to get over it. Yeah, <laughs> it's the classic yeah. dad response. Just get yeah. over it. Just go for a walk. And she's like, you just can't tell me like it's, and, and so to give her a tool that can help her, you know, bring her heart rate down, improve her heart rate variability. And then at the same time, alleviate that anxiety, like, instantly and then maybe even long term prevent it altogether is without having to use medication or you know have her spend a, an hour talking to her you know therapist it's this is this would be really freaking cool yeah and i think and I, and I definitely just in my experience with the cold plunge and breathing i know there's a connection there mm-hmm. right? there's something happening there for sure yeah yeah um strategies for when anxiety gets really extreme, you may have heard this already on the Hooperman podcast, but carbon dioxide is involved in, in panic attacks. When they give people just pure carbon dioxide to breathe, they have a panic attack. So it, a lot of times what can happen when someone gets close to, to panic attack and has you know, panic disorder, they're over breathing. You know, they're like right. <gasps> yeah. they're hyperventilating. They are mm. not breathing correctly. So what we think there is like, oh, take, take deep breaths, you know, take deep breaths. That's not a good strategy because they're already taking deep breaths yeah. <laughs> and they're over breathing and they're breathing off all their carbon dioxide. And this comes through to the work of um, the Boteco Clinic and Patrick McEwen, who does a lot of work with like functional breathing. And his book, his first book was called The Oxygen Advantage, but he says he wished he changed it to the carbon dioxide advantage because carbon dioxide, we just think is a waste product, but actually it's really important in breathing. And there's this thing called the Bohr effect. And basically it's when our blood has uh, carbon dioxide present in it, the blood will release oxygen through to the cells. But if you have like 100% blood oxygen saturation, the, the blood won't release any oxygen. Right. So you think if you oh, if I breathe loads, I'll get more oxygen, but no, the blood holds on to it. So that's why carbon dioxide training, especially for like athletes as well, is really useful. Becoming carbon dioxide tolerant is an advantage in athletics and in life. So going back to panic disorders, when someone is maybe starting to over breathe like that, what you can do is give them a brown paper bag because mm-hmm. what are they doing there? They are breathing back in their carbon yeah. dioxide. First if you don't have a pa- carbon uh, bag, you can just tell them, put their hands over the their face, breathe back in their carbon dioxide from within their Remember hands. the paper bag? Remember I the, was just going to say our, Like our parents yeah, kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, back in the day, the whole paper bag breathing. Ahead of the well, time. You'd never see that anymore. I've, never, I've, I've tried it, actually. I've done it with Cameron. And I'm wondering what the, the, what, what the mechanism there was. Like I always thought, that's the stupidest Here you go. fucking thing. <laughs> and there you go. Yeah. And, and slowing their breathing as well. Yeah, right. They, they'll be yeah. over-breathing. The, the pace of breathing will be too high. And if you can get them to breathe through their nose, which is going to slow mm-hmm. it down because mm-hmm. there's more resistance through the nose, that's also going to, to help them calm down. Wow. Oh, man, that's so Nice good. to put something behind that. Yeah, this is great. Cool. Um, where we've gone an hour. Yeah. Kind of where, where yeah. we'd like to be. Um, what about um, – so what do you – do you do clinics now? Do you do yeah. um, do you do one on one stuff? What do you do now with respect to your breath work? And is there something we should be referring people to? Is there a good spot on this you want me to pull up? Um, so I'm not taking on clients at the moment because I'm okay. full time with my PhD. Okay. Okay. Um, I will be conducting a trial where I'll need clients. Uh, okay. I need to get you know 100 people or something like that. Um, I do put out information on Instagram at the Breath Geek. Mm-hmm. You know, I. I talk about the latest research and and biohacking and things like that and as a kind of educational aspect to it once i finish my phd i'll probably be opening up a a breathwork uh clinic teacher training school that kind of thing but for right now um you can just follow me and if you want breathwork itself message me i can send recommendations if you're um yeah looking for for workshops in the uk breath guru would be my my go-to and then in the u.s um, clarity breath work would be the one I would look to there. Clarity breath work. 
if you see him here in at Diablo, wait until the Metcon is done. <laughs> and then ask him <laughs> where you can get uh, more information and more help. This is outstanding. Um really cool and i'm and oh by the way when you need uh test subjects i guarantee you here at this community there'll be there'll be a large number I'm of people interested. that'd be that'd be one that want to help i'm interested yeah. too i think have it's to have mild to severe anxiety ah i can <laughs> can you <laughs> conjure that one up yeah yeah please don't I, fake it <laughs> <laughs> There are there are members here. I do know there's members here that yeah. deal with uh, with chronic anxiety, mm-hmm. and they're gonna they're gonna dig this podcast. Great. And I know they're listening. They'll be listening to it. So and they'll probably be reaching out. So awesome. Um, yeah. Right on. Yeah. Um, Thank you for coming on. Yeah. Thanks for coming on. It was uh, this was a great discussion. Anything else we want to talk about today? No. Okay. We're good. It's good. All right. Thank you. We'll very see much. everybody next week. Thanks, yeah. man. Until Thank next you. time. Yep. Bye bye.